Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. Let's get started. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I got Joseph in the house. Surprise podcast. Woo-hoo! Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a bonus episode, because um, this is coming out on the last Tuesday of January. Okay. So, kind of like a bonus here, and... Little bonus you know, episode with all of you being able to hear my voice. Yeah, yeah I mean, what better way to bonus than year. to not just have me, but to have the great Jolie Stark here the, as well. The uh, prince, soon to be king of all Saiyans. You know? <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> oh man, prepare for the uprising. That's right. <laughs> so, yes. So, moving this podcast to an every other week model, which means that some of these. Uh, months of the year, in January being one of them, that there's actually three episodes that will come out this month. Mm. So I thought what might be fun to do uh, in these cases is to do something that we, we've we've done a little bit of on our Why We Love episodes, mm-hmm. but um, to really go all in in terms of one particular film, and that's, of course, doing an analysis. Yeah. So... You know, we've done why we love Star Wars, why we love Disney, why we love Marvel and Spider-Man and X-Men, right? So in those episodes, we would talk about like a broad overview of the of a series, Mm -hmm. of a trilogy, of a of a group of films, right? But one of the things that Joseph and I really enjoy doing as well is taking one particular film and having a really lengthy, in-depth conversation about it. And so kind of on these bonus Tuesdays, this is what I want to do. And so in trying to think about what uh, film to do for this first one, I started looking up like anniversaries, like, okay, what films are at their like five-year anniversary, 10-year anniversary, 20? And the one that I came out with that really stood out to me, particularly because you and I just rewatched it together Uh recently, uh, was The Truman Show. I didn't realize that um, it was coming up on an anniversary. 20 Five years. Really? Yes. That is as old as me. That is funny. (laughs) Yeah. uh, 1998 is when The Truman Show came out. Oh, I'm just a couple months older, I guess. (laughs) And I I will argue that The Truman Show is probably even more relevant today than it was 25 years ago. So what better film to kind of start off doing these film analysis with. Yeah. And I think honestly, if if you go on YouTube and if you go look around the internet, this is easily one of the most analyzed yep. films yep. that you're going to find, right? Because it, it it's funny because it has a type of comparison to like Big Brother, like the 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 eye that watches over people yes. and things yes. like that. It, it ties into that. It ties into um identity and really mm-hmm. like who who are you really? Like are you just are you is this just a perspective that um, others have put on you or is this truly who you are or you're just falling into place about like what people perspe- uh, perceive of you? It's really wild. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think there's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. uh, with the Truman Show. And so it's crazy because for me, I think this is also one of the most fun films yeah. to analyze and talk about as well, like up there with like the Wizard of Oz and yeah. you know, some of those where there's just so much symbolism and so much going on. Definitely. There's almost a movie within the movie, right? Yeah. And so what I love about the Truman Show is 
this question, and I was thinking about this today, is like, hmm, why, why do I love The Truman Show? Mm -hmm. Because The Truman Show is easily one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. Uh -huh. Maybe okay. even top five. Okay. Maybe even top three. So then let me ask you, Derek, Yeah. why do you love The Truman Show? Well, I think it's, it's some of these questions. So like, what if your perception of your story is a lie. Mm. What if mm. the story that you're telling yourself about your life is not true? Yeah. That's a That's deep. That's deep and that's a scary thought to have. Yeah. And then that begs the the further question, who is shaping our stories? Mm. Who is shaping our sense of reality? Because when we think about influence, mm -hmm. and that's, I think, what a big part of the Truman Show is about, is this idea of who and what influences us. Yeah. And we'll see that a lot of that is commentaries about our culture yeah. and consumerism. I think the thing that we're confronted with, with something like the Truman Show, is that we are not just influenced and consumers of products, but we are influenced by and consumers of ideas. Mm. I mean, this is a film that has sparked a psychological disorder. Have you ever heard of Truman Show Delusion? No. It is a real thing. I don't know if it's an official like psychological classification, uh -huh. but it is something that's used in mental health um, so, professionals. So to is it like a like a... Um, an individual perceives that they are being just watched or that they perceive... Yeah, they perceive that reality is that their reality is somehow being messed with that there are okay. people influencing people pretending whatever whatever it is uh -huh. so this and i don't think the film started that i think the film brought to light a yeah. real paranoia that people experience yeah and so yeah you ready to, ready to kind of jump into yeah, this but like even with that it's interesting because what came um the which came first, Matrix or the Truman Show? It's actually really funny you said that. Matrix came one year after the Truman really? Show. Yeah, so it's all just so interesting that um they both have that same type of of just altered realities or yes. false realities. And did you ever have you ever seen Pleasantville? I have not seen Pleasantville with Tobey Maguire. Nuh -uh. Pleasantville is also in the same line wheelhouse of and it. um it came out the same year as truman show is, <laughs> so there is was the something in the water <laughs> yes there was something in the water in the late 90s yeah and it doesn't surprise me with the new millennium and the y2k and all the different uh -huh. fears that people had right yeah about what was going to happen and what what kind of world we were entering into yeah in because this millennium. that's when surveillance and stuff started upright uh really uprising yes so I can un yeah I can I can see I can see why they came out around that time but that's still so wild to even think about. Yeah. I didn't know that they were they came out a year apart. That's so Yeah. Funny. Yeah. And you you'll definitely notice if you have seen the Matrix um yeah. that there there's definitely some overlap in certain ideas. But I I just want to stress now that because we're doing an analysis this is going to be filled with spoilers. Mm -hmm. So if you have not seen the movie Again, I think this is one of the greatest filmmaking experiences you can ever have. And it's just a bold the best statement. Jim Carrey movies. Yes, yes. I it, love it, that man in this movie. The performances, the script, yep. the directing, like everything is so on point that 
I always recommend going in as blind as possible. Definitely. So if you haven't seen this movie, please shut this off. Go watch the movie and then come back for the analysis. Yes. Um, because this is definitely an experience that you want to yeah. have. So with that case, um, it was really wild when Jim Carrey just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is that uh, literally or metaphorically? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Bet. And if you enjoy this analysis and have some fun in this episode with us, then make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode where I'm going to tell you how I can do an analysis for a film of your choice. Well, let's start off with a little uh, a brief summary here. So Truman Burbank is the star of The Truman Show, a 24-hour-a-day reality TV show that broadcasts every aspect of his life without his knowledge. His entire life has been an unending soap opera for consumption by the rest of the world, and everyone he knows, including his wife and his best friend, is really an actor paid to be part of his life. This is so wild. It's still so wild. The premise is incredible. There's actually quite a lot of things that have influenced this premise. So when you do an analysis before, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the film, you know, moment by moment, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to move chronologically through the film and we'll touch on character as it emerges in the film. We'll touch on themes as they emerge in the film. We'll touch on settings as they emerge in the film, right? But we'll move through the story. But before we do that, I think it's important to talk about some of the other stories that influenced the Truman Show. Okay. So have you ever heard of Plato's allegory of the cave? Yes. Um, with There are individuals inside of the cave, mm-hmm. and with the shadows that are um, come into the cave, they make certain shapes inside the cave look yes. a different way. So that's how they see that um, those images are from the outside. Like right. they, if a shadow... Um, if there's a shadow of a tree that goes into the cave, even if it's altered or something like that, they think that is what a tree looks like. Yep, that's like. their perception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then there's one, there's usually like three people. Level. Yeah. And then there's one of them that decides to leave the cave. Uh-huh. And they come back and they tell the others like, hey, 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 like this is, this this is what this. a tree is and yeah. this is what, and, and they don't believe them. Yeah. They choose and prefer the cave. Mm-hmm. Over. Because that's what they know. That's yes, what they, over the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And all these different influences, we're, we're going to mention them in the analysis, so I'm just trying to kind of preface them now. Um, another one is that this is uh, very reminiscent of, uh, you ever heard that Shakespeare quote, all the world's a stage? No. We are merely players in it. So okay, Shakespeare with the with the bars. Okay, Sha- oh man, Shakespeare's <laughs> got got the bars over anyone. So yeah, um, all the world's a stage. We are merely players, right? And there's a whole long thing that goes with that. Uh-huh. But that's a central idea. Even Hamlet, if you've read Hamlet, he even has this kind of paranoia mm-hmm. that there's a drama going around, yeah. uh, like right that others are involved in and he's unaware of. Yeah, this is. The most direct influence of this is this is actually based on an episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone. 
Oh yeah, I think I remember. I think I remember Nick talking about it or Nick yes. telling. And I'm not a big fan of the '80s. I prefer the original show more. But this is actually, I think, probably my favorite episode from the '80s one. Twilight's um, oh, I'm gonna look up the name of the episode real quick. Special Service, and it's about a guy who discovers a camera behind his mirror Mm -hmm. and then realizes that his whole life is being televised. Um, And so it's a very, it's the same premise. Yeah. Um, I will say the endings are completely different. (laughs) 1984 is another influence as well Mm -hmm. about, you know, the watchful eye and surveillance and control. Yes. Right. I definitely remember reading that um, in high school. Yeah. High school or middle school. But I think that was around the same time. That my dad uh, showed me the Truman Show because I, I oh wow I first saw it with my dad. Okay, he had cool. it on DVD and he brought it home. He was like, "Hey, you know, this is a really great movie. We should watch this." And your um, dad's right. Yeah, which it was. It was a really great movie. But just like the, I don't think I really got the hidden meetings until I read the book. Like yeah, uh, so it was kind of like how, oh. And how old were you when you saw it? Um, if I was if I was in middle school or high school, I would probably say like. 14, 15. Okay. I was 19 when I first saw it. Okay. I rented it off iTunes okay. and just thought, okay, I'll just watch. It was like nine o'clock at night. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll just put this on and watch it. And you're like, what? Yeah. You're like, I'm, like, Whoa. I'm like, yeah, this isn't that kind of movie. <laughs> this is like, I'm on the edge of my seat, glued. I need to watch it on the TV and not my phone right now. Well, it close. I was watching it on a computer. Okay. And then I literally, so I watched the movie and then the next morning, I went to a, a store that sold uh, used DVDs, uh-huh. and I bought it, and I brought it to Tori's house. We were dating, Aww. and I said, I don't care what you're doing today. We're watching, we're watching this show. movie because this might be the best movie I've ever seen. So wow. And we did. And then DVDs. the second time I watched it, I caught way more than I did the first time, yeah. you know? So it was pretty um, incredible. Oh, and there, and one other influence I'll bring up as well. So um, I brought up in my deconstruction episode that I'm not a particular fan of Michel Foucault, the French philosopher's, um, some of his views on things. But one thing I think that he definitely got right is this idea of panepatism. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. I might get butchered for that. But it's basically this idea. I learned about this in my master's program of psychological manipulation, that there's actually kind of like in culture, these unseen forces that control and modify our behavior. Mm. And that's like a use of power, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that idea is also very prevalent in the film as well. Mm. Um, In more ways than just with Truman. I think it also is affecting the, the viewers of the show as well. Yeah. But I'll talk about that, that when we get what, there. Near the end, I, I, we're thinking about the same thing, right? I think so. Okay. okay. But yeah. So let's let's jump into this. So, you know, the opening credits already tells you that this is going to be a different kind of film. Yeah. Because in the opening credits, it's not just the opening credits of the movie. You, you're, that's It's actually the opening credits of the, of the, of the show. show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's showing Truman doing his like his regular schedule, like regular routine. Um, well, even even before you get to there, though, you get to meet the cast. A oh little yeah, bit, right. Oh, yeah. I so you've got Kristoff, the creator, mm-hmm. who who starts off. We'll we'll talk more about him when we get to the 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 halfway point of the that film. That guy. That guy. Yeah. Um, but there's some interesting things that are said that already tell you about the character. So Marlon is his best friend. 
and he says a line, it's not fake, but merely controlled. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I think one of the things Truman Show explores is this idea of what's authentic, what's, what's real, Yeah. right? Uh, Meryl, who is this Truman's is wife, wife. Mm -hmm. uh, says that her whole life is the Truman Show. So her identity right it's her with this show it's not even it's tied yes yeah it's not even a real like oh yeah no this is like i'm in this role as this person that i can't and i actually kind of care about this person it's just like no i am more so like i i'm part of the show and i'm part of this this team or i am in this light well isn't it, it so isn't it fascinating so as her being an actor mm -hmm. that she the the Greek word for actor uh, is the word that we use for hypocrite. Mm. So, isn't that isn't that beautiful? So, but but what happens with Meryl's an interesting character because what happens when you, the actor, have blended the acting as your real life? Yeah, then you're living a hypocritical life. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and what does that do to your soul? What does that do to you over time? You and I think we get glimpses of it when we watch the film. What yeah. it's done to her. So you already get to learn things from the characters just through these small little lines, right? And Kristoff has the, the little opening monologue where he says that we've become bored with actors giving phony performances and we want something real. And it's the irony that even reality, like reality TV... It's because still not real. It's scripted, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, to put this into context, this movie came out at a time where reality TV didn't really exist. Just like that, yeah. So this saw something that was coming. Mm -hmm. Because even though the movie was released in 1998, it was being written in 1996 mm -hmm. by, um, I think it's Andrew Nichols um, wrote the screenplay and Peter Weir uh, directed it. Okay. So it was like written in 96, made in 97 and then released in 90. So even in the mid nineties, they saw yeah, what was, was coming. They yeah. saw that this is what people were craving with reality TV. Right. And it's interesting because what Christoph says in the beginning, actually, this is a very prophetic movie because what he says is actually come to pass mm -hmm. and not just in the ways of reality TV shows like survivor and big brother and the bachelor, um, that Kardashian, get really big. Kardashian yeah, that get really big. Like but as I'll talk about later, even with social media, yes, is a new form it's, of reality yeah, it's TV, just right? False reality. It's just a whole false reality. And, and we've become bored, and now we want something that feels authentic, mm -hmm. right? So that that's a big thing is this contrast between what's real and what's fake or fabricated, right? Yeah. And you literally see that within his name. So the name of Truman Burbank. So Truman is obvious, yeah. the true man, man right? Yeah. He is the true man in a world of lies and acting and hypocrite and all that stuff, lies. right? Yeah. But Burbank, we'll, we'll talk about setting in a bit that yeah. the, where, where the movie's really filmed, but it's supposed to be filmed in Burbank in the, in the movie, right? Okay. It's a studio that they constructed in Burbank. But yeah. what do you know about Burbank from living in California? Oh. Uh, been a minute since i've been there um so burbank is where uh, a lot of the major studios are it's where warner brothers is oh, it's where disney yeah, yeah. is yeah, yeah, so yeah. a lot of the the it's the entertainment hub like i mean i know everyone perceives hollywood as that but yeah. burbank is where the where it actually gets made where the stories get told and so there's this contradiction in his name of the true man and a, and burbank yeah. the place of 
fabrication, yeah. right, of, of stories. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. And it's worth noting that he's 30. They, they very clearly mentioned a couple times in the in the film that he's 30. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone, you know, watching this when I was 30 was kind of a trip because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm as old as Jim Carrey was in this movie. Because, yeah. But 30 um, is but interesting because if we think about what the age of 30 represents symbolically, so, like, Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30. Mm-hmm. And... 30 in a lot of cultures, especially like ancient cultures, 30 was when you really, you were no longer in training. You were no longer a young adult. You were, you know, you were fully on your own, you know, doing what you uh, have been prepared to do. Right. Yeah. So I think it's no accident that they chose 30 for this, especially when we talk about waters and baptism and Jesus's baptism, like Mm -hmm. all that stuff will come into play. I think it's interesting with the age though, uh, because if you look at like, if you look at things now, Mm -hmm. when actors or actresses get older, they tend to have them start phasing, like phasing out. Right. So it's like, it would be interesting if this, if this show was real, like if this was happening in real life, what would they do with him? Like, would they right. would they start to push him out? To well, bring I I out? I I actually think they are starting to push him out, and I because think of there's the baby because of the baby, baby. Yep. yeah, they yep. mentioned a baby. Yeah. Is, yeah, so it's when interesting a, yeah. because why is Kristoff? This is halfway through the film, but why is Kristoff so obsessed with them having a baby? Yeah. That's not even about Truman. Yeah, Truman just gets Meryl pregnant, but his whole thing because it's the it's the language you have to when you do an analysis you have to take note of the language, right? And it's when Christoph says like I am determined that we'll see the first on air okay. yeah. conception, yeah, uh, and uh, cons- full conception to birth, and yeah. he he wants to see the baby being born, and I think there is already in his mind this idea that the show will live through him. Yeah. That, and he's, yeah. So, Man. yeah, uh, it's interesting. So that's a good point you brought up about the about the age and, and whatnot, because I think you do even see some of that yeah. commentary there. But when you first are introduced to Truman, he's looking in a mirror. He has these little moments in the film where you just see him in a mirror and he's like drawing a picture of like a spaceship on the mirror or he's, mm-hmm. you know. Or a he, boat on the, on the water. Yeah. Like that. yeah. And, and what they all have in common is this idea that he wants to explore. He mm. wants to get out there and. You, he's a wilderness explorer. Yes. You immediately learn that about Truman is that there is something about where he is that he wants to break out of. Yeah. And. When you compare how Truman talks when he's in front of the mirror Mm -hmm. versus how he talks Talks to people, people, you see, when he talks to people, it's very scripted. Yeah. Um, But it's not scripted. That's the irony. But it sounds like you're watching like a 1950s sitcom. Yeah. And so it's interesting because this is a person who literally grew up in a television show. Uh Uh-huh. And that literally has molded. His, his speech, yeah. his his the way he he talks and moves and acts and everything. I kind of think about it with people, um, like the people that have had trauma, um, and just like their coping mechanisms and things like that, and just being able to uh, make it seem as in the in the real world, I guess, in in the sense or around other people that they're fine or things like that. But right. 
actually they're hurting on the insides, but it's just it's just a it's just a facade. Right. Yeah. And you get a sense of that when you see Truman and how he interacts with Meryl. Yep. It feels like you're very staged. Yeah. But it but of course it's staged for Meryl, but not, but not for, for Truman. Yeah. But it's weird because Truman is become like an actor. Yep. He's become like a hypocrite, not by choice though. Yeah. Um and you see in that opening uh, kind of conversation there, if you look on the table, there's actually something really interesting that you see there, and uh, it's vitamin D supplements. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Because there's no real sun. That's actually really This is wild. a movie I that I can't it. think of plot holes that exist for that's it. That's really because, cool. Yeah, because you, when you realize later that this is all a studio, yeah. right? And then you're one of the things you might think of is like what human being can be able to live under. Yeah. yeah. And then you realize, oh, he's got these stacks of vitamin D supplements he has to take. That's wild. I never. Yeah. Thought, I never noticed that. Th this That's film cool. has so many little details yeah, like that, that you're cool. just like, wow. So like another detail is when um, the, the kind of the inciting incident of the film is uh, the, light the, the light falls down. Yeah. Right. And and we know that the lights they're they're lights for the set, yeah. but they look like stars in the sky at night. Yeah. So you have this falling star, per se, mm. and written on it is the word Sirius. Mm. So Sirius, uh, again, ancient Greece was the word for the brightest star in the sky, and it's a and mm. and Homer, you know, yeah. uh, from the Odyssey and the Iliad, yeah. he actually called the star evil. He, a precursor, like an omen, that it brings suffering, uh, okay. that it foreshadows suffering to come. Yeah. So it's interesting because that, that you have this paradox, of, yeah. yeah, of like a great light that actually brings about dread. Yeah. And then you also, I mean, you could compare this even to the idea of also of like Lucifer, the falling star, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we'll talk about that imagery later when I was we talk even, about Kristoff. Yeah, I was even thinking about um, the actual, like the actual sun, the sun being a star. Eventually, that thing will grow, 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 and then it will explode and it right. will consume. Right. Yeah. And you could even take the idea of the falling star as the idea of foreshadowing what will happen to Truman. Yeah. Truman will become the falling star. Yeah. Uh, eventually, at the at once once the film is over and the resolution has happened. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting foreshadow just in that one thing. Yeah. But the most basic thing that it does, of course, is it awakens Truman to the idea that something is not right. Something's fishy. Yeah. Like Henny Penny, like yep. the sky is falling. You know, yep. something's not right here. Chicken Little, even though you guys don't like Chicken no, Little. No, Chicken Little. I don't can know why burn. you guys don't like Chicken Little. <laughs> I like Chicken Little. <laughs> you can even reference it with the oh, Truman man. Show. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow to bring Chicken Little into it. <laughs> somehow Palpatine returned. But in the somehow, Last Jedi, just throw all <laughs> it all in there. So one of the things you immediately notice when the film starts that's already unique as a film is the, the camera angles mm -hmm. and the shots, right? So you get these shots that are from all different perspectives and different lens sizes as well. Mm -hmm. You've got like his... Like in the button of his yeah. clothes, his ring is is a camera. When we were watching it. You noticed the um. You even mentioned the trash can. The trash can has a camera on it because uh the guy that um the trash mm -hmm. can that the neighbor always holds yes has a camera in it yes and then the dog has a camera. It's like oh yeah, everything would have to have a camera. Everything's got a <laughs> yep. Everything's got a camera to it, and it's interesting because there's this sense of voyeurism. Yeah. When you're watching the movie of like, oh, I'm seeing everything. Yeah. 
from all these different perspectives. And it's tricky because um, it's hard to tell which shots are what are we call in film objective shots. Mm. So what are the shots that are not POVs, uh-huh. point, uh, points point of, of view of the character, yeah. but you, you know the omniscient objective shot that mm-hmm. you, the film, that you, the moviegoer, are watching. Yeah. And it's hard because you can't really tell because even shots in the film that I'm like, oh, that's an objective shot. It's then we the- then we see that it actually is a shot from the show. Yeah. So it's like already with the camera work, they're trying to blend this idea of what is of the show, and what is of Truman's perspective, what's of our perspective. Yeah. And it messes with you. Yeah. And even the the lens the lenses that they choose, they they like a fisheye lens a lot. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of a fisheye lens because I'm like, oh, it's like a, looking into an aquarium. Yeah. Like you are just looking in and watching and the fish, you know, are just doing their own are thing. just doing their thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So another thing that you notice too in these early moments of the film is it cuts to random people mm-hmm. that are like in a bar or a guy in his bathtub yeah. or police officers. And what they're trying to show, at least what I think they're trying to show through that, is that the Truman show is the ultimate show that reaches everybody. It's the fillers. Well, and it's interesting because I think the Truman Show is successful. Uh-huh. It's in this world. Like, people have bought into it yeah. to where they play it, you know, in the background, on the bar. You got the grandmas on the couch yep. that watch it. Yeah. You know, like, people of all ages and It's been places. a 30-year season yes. show. Yeah. yeah, so everybody <laughs> is invested in this. Yeah. This is like you know, a universal, and it's interesting because I've talked about on this podcast how stories are universal language. Uh-huh. So the Truman Show is a story that touches people on such a deep level, but of course there are ethical yeah. and moral considerations that clearly people have to bypass in order to enjoy it, yep. which I think the show is trying to manipulate you into foregoing. Mm-hmm. So when we see Truman go to work, uh, he says his famous catchphrase. Yep. What in case I don't it? see um, you. Good. Good morning. Good evening. And good night. Yeah. They say good morning, and he says, "Oh, in case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good evening good and good night." Yeah. Right. Um, so what what he's doing when he's walking around? It's interesting because colors are interesting to analyze as well in mm-hmm. film, and you see that he's wearing a kind of a very typical like brown, corporate brown. Yeah. Yep. You know. Um, nothing too crazy, but he's got this like uh, this bright yellow sh- yeah. shirt underneath, and he wears yellow quite a bit in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yellow and red in particular are colors that you need to look out for because yellow is a color that typically represents like warmth and happiness and contentment, right? Uh-huh. So when we see Truman in that yellow shirt, when we see him wearing that color, you know, there's a sense of like. You know, yeah, and then the red. There's a lot of shots where he's wearing red, or other characters are wearing red. Red is is a color for passion, Mm -hmm. and so it's a color that says that not only is he content, but he's all in. Like the actors, if you look, Meryl, um, Marlon, a lot of these actors have red or streaks of red in their clothes, yeah, um, all the time, and Truman wears. Shades of red as well. Mm-hmm. That t- and that tells you when he's really all into this, right? 
Um, and if you look at the color, his clothes change colors over the time of the film to where by the time you get to the end, he's wearing darker colors. Yeah. He's wearing dark grays and these kind of more dreary colors. I do like as, that in movies. This yeah. Just a side note that it uh, that they change clothes. <laughs> yeah. 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 You see that Truman's clothes will tell you. They tell the story of his psychological state of how he's perceiving yeah. um, the world around him. So another thing that's interesting that you see in the opening moments is product placement. Mm -hmm. So you see the weird camera zoom-ins, right? Yep. As Meryl is talking about... About the cocoa powder. The cocoa powder is my favorite <laughs> one because it is the worst timing ever for advertising. What are you Absolutely, about? yes. Who are you talking to? Yes. <laughs> so it's interesting because you see with those product placements, right, how they bring the commercials in, yeah. but also how... There, it's working. Yeah. Because if if you look like like there's a beer that Marlon always brings over. Yep. If you look in the bar, that's the beer everybody's drinking. drinking. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you actually see the clothes like the the everything that's advertised is for sale, yeah. and it's actually working. So what what the Truman Show is doing is it's not just telling a story of a person's life. It's showing, it's it is actually controlling yeah. and influencing the lives of those consuming it yeah. and watching it yeah which is also it will contribute to this kind of godlike power and it's interesting because the consumers are still are also contributing to the state that truman is as well yes yes so it's this yeah. weird it's this weird effect there you yeah. know when you watch the film you know and you see the colors and the setting and the music and everything it feels very like 1950s mm -hmm. suburban america right yeah. very idealistic of what we think it's called sea haven mm. uh you know the that safe haven by the sea yeah lots of pastel colors um mozart music playing quite frequently right yeah um and it's even though it supposed to take place in like this studio in Burbank. It's actually filmed in the real uh, town yeah. called Seaside, yeah. which is right here in Florida, which uh, I want to go to someday. I do too. I want to actually get to see this yeah. um, little idealistic town that's a real place. Yeah. So, but even the idea of Florida is like, there's all kind of connotations of what Florida means culturally. So even though they never mentioned Florida, it's interesting that they chose yeah. a place in Florida of that kind of... You know, carefree worries, except yep, all the hurricanes, right? People hear Florida, they think of all right. wrestling with alligators and right and floods. <laughs> One interesting thing I've, I've thought about with the music, though, um, and this wasn't my idea. I heard this from someone on YouTube, that perhaps the reason why they do classical music is because it's royalty-free. Mm. And they don't have to, the, and they don't the, have to pay, they yeah, don't have they to, pay to yeah. use it in the show. That's, yeah, wow. Yeah, but there's something interesting about using classical music as well and not really using a lot of lyric music with lyrics yeah. because, you know, music with lyrics can it's, put thoughts in your head, yeah. right? So there's kind of like this nostalgic sense of what America maybe was once like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why the people love the Truman Show, why they're so into it uh -huh. is because because uh, it, it, it's very nostalgic. Yeah. And but it's very dystopian. Yeah, you definitely get a sense as you're watching it, like something is just not, not right, right here. Yeah. You know, um, you see these guys that push Truman up along a wall, and Every the camera day. zooms yep. out. Right. <laughs> well, my favorite one is um, 
it advertises for free-range Kaiser chickens. Guts. And, <laughs> I mean, what, when you hear that, what do you think of? I think of what the Kaiser, I think of a hospital. So it's like, is the hospital giving out free chickens? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> well, the idea of a quote-unquote free-range chicken. Mm. So a chicken could be free-range, but is it really free? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's, that's brilliant. I see what you're trying to say there, right? And you start to see in these early scenes in the first act of the film that Truman wants to get away. Mm -hmm. He wants to get away from this, right? He, he wants to embark on some sort of adventure. Yeah. He wants to travel. He wants to go to Fiji. We got that thing in the classroom when he's a kid, that flashback where he's like, I want to be an explorer. And the teacher's like, oh, I'm sorry. Everything's yeah. already been explored. You're too late. late yeah. So... <laughs> It's interesting because the irony is he wants to embark on one kind of adventure of like, oh, I just want to go to Fiji, take yeah. a vacation, right? But really, it's another type of adventure that he's embarking on. Yeah. Uh, that he's exploring. Finding the truth. Yeah. Fiji, really far out place from mm -hmm. where he is, wants to try to get away. There's very much this very relatable, like at least in this first act of the movie, there's this kind of relatable, like you're in your 30s, you're married, you got a job and, you know, insurance. You kind of got this rhythm and it's kind of boring and you, and you want to break out, out yeah. of the rut, right? Yeah. So even without the idea of the Truman Show as a whole, already just this character is in a very relatable situation. Yeah. Just in and of itself, right? Yeah. And then we get hints that there's some trauma as we see him near water. And then he's just looking down he's in, into the boat that sunk into the water yeah so crazy how all of it was just planned out in the sense of how to keep a person uh staying at a certain place yeah and like yes they may want to venture out but due to their trauma they will not venture out like how controlling that is how manipulative that is yeah because he wants to travel yeah by to get to fiji you have to travel by sea you know by airplane by boat right yeah but he can't do that yeah he can't he can't it's like his spirit is crushed it's crushed yeah. yeah that's a good word for it yeah so there's this trauma that he has mm -hmm. and we later find out it's because um there was a storm and his father died drowned quote quote drowned right yeah and so there's already this this fear. I'm going to mention this here. There's a story in the Bible of a storm coming upon Jesus and the disciples. Mm -hmm. And keep that in mind. Keep that imagery in mind of the, the terror and the fear of the storm. Yeah. Um, because that'll come into play later when we talk about water. I was even thinking but, in that scene too, um, it was Truman's idea when he was a kid to go out yes, further. yes. To, and, and how messed up is it? Yeah. So they make him believe that it was his fault, yeah. right? And literally, Sea Haven, the yeah. name and the design of the town yep. is so is meant to keep him in this perpetual state of trauma. Yeah. So it's 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 a whole other level of evil. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of all this, we see that there's a glimmer of something good for Truman happening and something. Uh, that seems real. And that's, of course, uh, with this character um, in the show that's name is, I think, Laura or Lauren. I was going to say, her, did they ever mention her name? But her but her real name is Sylvia. Yeah. Sylvia. So, Sylvia, yeah. And so we get the flashback of the scene where Truman is in, I think he's in college. Uh-huh. And it's the prearranged 
first meeting with yep. Meryl, right? Yep. But he sees another girl that he's attracted to. Yeah. So he goes over and talks to her, and they have a little conversation, and then they talk again in the library, and she's kind of like, I'm not supposed to be talking to you, right? Yeah. You know, trying to whisper and keep it down low. She's got that pin mm-hmm. that says, how will it end? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, I've been thinking about that myself. You know, so yeah. there's some great chemistry for the very short screen time they have together. And then she, there's got, some then good- she got napped. Yeah. <laughs> and it took her away. So, yeah, it, it's interesting because they try, she, they try to be spontaneous. Yeah. She tries to be spontaneous. They try to leave and they go to the beach and she knows that time with Truman is really short. Yeah. And it's interesting going back to colors because she's wearing red the whole oh, time. I didn't even notice Yeah, that. so as in like she's all in as an yeah. actor. She's passionate about it. Yeah. When they get to the beach, she throws off. It's a very intentional thing she Wasn't does. The scarf? She or, throws yeah. off her red scarf. Yep. And then she tells Truman the truth. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So... As the people are coming, that's when she says, all, she holds up the sand, all yeah. of this is fake, all this is for you. Yeah. And then um, that's when the the actor who plays her dad is saying, we're moving to Fiji, and, yeah. right? And then they never never sees her again, yep. you know? So it's sad because you see that Truman is trying to be the true man, mm-hmm. but Burbank is infiltrating yeah. in, that, in that moment. And... It goes to show that true love is the one thing that you can't ever control, yep. contrive, manipulate, right? Yep. Like it is, love is real. It yeah. is that. And the show, despite its best attempts to try to move Truman past that Easy. by rushing the marriage to Meryl mm-hmm. and then, you know, his mom getting sick and all that stuff, yeah. there is a piece of him that's still longing for not just Sylvia, but I think what Sylvia represents, mm. right? She represented a sense of like freedom or a sense of um, just being oneself. Yeah, and I think this is where Truman's deconstruction really begins because this is where Truman starts cutting out the magazine yep. clippings of different women to try to piece it together. So there's that image of deconstruction and reconstruction as he's trying to, and this is interesting because he's taking the media He's taking magazine, he's taking media and he's cutting it out and trying to piece it together Together. to figure out what's true. Yeah. How is that not a commentary for today? Yeah, that's wild. Right? Yeah. Literally cutting through, trying to take pieces and figure out what's real. Yeah. So that image right there is, is powerful. Yeah. And then, of course, Truman begins to suspect that something is wrong. Something's a mist. Yes. We're moving more into act two where Truman is becoming more conscious Mm -hmm. and he's starting to become aware of what's happening. Oh, and I got to mention one thing with Sylvia about the music as well, real quick. Uh Uh-huh. So all the music that we've heard so far in the film was either Mozart or music that's meant to represent the classical period, right? The song that plays during the entire Sylvia sequence from start, from the moment she enters the screen to the moment she leaves is um, the romance Legato uh, by Chopin. And Chopin is from a completely different era that comes after the classical era called the Romantic period. Mm. So it's interesting because there is almost this foreshadow with the music of pushing forward. Yeah. Of pushing beyond what's there, right? 
So I just want to mention that because that's cool. No. I, I think there's there's a lot going on with music. Fun that facts I don't even, for you music people out there. Yeah, right. Well, and he notices the radio dials. Yeah. He notices something's yep. off, right? And he hears the transmissions. And where they're giving out the um, which direction she's going. When yep. this, one of the sets with the elevator he goes in, he yes. sees the elevator's he there. He stands in the back. middle of the road, yep. and then he's able to, he goes to Merrill, and he says, all right, I predict that there's going to be Lady in the Bike. Yep. The dented fender car, right? Yep. So he's... He's starting to realize something's wrong. You know, and yeah. No, I was going to say, I think it would be like even crazier if we didn't know as the audience that he was in a TV show and finding it out like when he was finding well, it out. Well, I think that was actually the original plan. Okay. I think if you, I, and again, I might be wrong. I think if you read Nichols' original script, I think that, because it was a much darker film, I don't think you were supposed to know in the beginning. But I think what Peter Weir and what, uh, Paramount probably realized is you can't, how do you market something like this? Yeah. The premise is what you have to market. Yeah. And so I think even with the beginning of the film, they just figured let's, just, just let's let, if we have to tell them, let's at least do it creatively. Yeah. So yeah, I think the, the, the twilight zone episode though, you do get that impression okay. that you don't know what's going on because it, it just, he just seems so crazy. And Jim Carrey pulls it off as this. Person. Oh my it's gosh. Like, yes. I, this is, I fully believe something is going wrong, but it's kind of, well, like, it's a very good, everything he does is very consistent in character. Yeah. Like I buy, even when he snaps, I buy it. Yep. So, you know, he talks about that. He tells him out with Meryl, like, it's just going round and round in circles. Yep. Circles is interesting in this part of the movie because literally he goes in, a, when they go in the car and he says, let's go for a drive. Yeah. They start the drive going in circles on, on a roundabout. Yeah. Going really fast. Yeah. And then he says, I'm speaking spontaneous. And he, he leaves, leaves the it. circle <laughs> yeah. and he starts driving in a line, yeah. right? To where he gets to the bridge. And she's like, oh, Truman, just let's go home. You won't home. be able to do you it because be you're able scared to do of water. Yeah. <laughs> and then he guns it. <laughs> and the music, oh, gosh, the music is so good in this part of the film, you know? And like there's right. like, he drives through fires yep. and, Yo, you know, he, he, everybody tries to stop this guy. He wanted to leave and there was no stopping that man. In that yeah. Moment. And even the guy at the checkpoint and yeah. he's like, okay. It's a chemical hazard. We've, yep. gotta, and then he's like, you're welcome, Truman. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, the cover's being blown, you know? And then oh, it's so sad, this part where Truman runs out of the car and he gets tackled. Yep. You see he's, he's desperate yeah. to break out of this. He knows something things not right yeah and then we get i think a really pivotal scene the cocoa powder scene yep so when truman the final uh, straw <laughs> yes when she does that you know he's grieving trying to figure it out you need help why don't you try this new cocoa, cocoa butter <laughs> yeah what the, hell are, what the hell are you talking about <laughs> i've tasted other cocoa powders before there's, there's none like this <laughs> um yeah, and it's interesting because um, when you see the cutaways between Truman and Merrill, you see that Truman has a very steady camera shot. Yeah. And Merrill's are very all Zoomed over the place, in, yeah. right? So it tells you something is not working yeah. between them. You, and know? you can even tell with hers, it's she's still trying to push through as through a character. Yes. Even in that moment, well, she's, yes. she's afraid. She's the hypocrite. Yeah, she's you the know? hypocrite. She's just pushing she, through a narrative. And she has, I will go as far as to say she has sold her soul yeah. to the Truman Show. Most definitely. To where she is thinking, the, the thing she is thinking first and foremost, and again, this is just show and trying to get in a character's head. Yeah. 
there must be a lot of people watching right now. Yep. If I advertise this, I might get more money. Yeah. Because I think she's partially in it for the money. Yeah. No, you I, know? I, I've she's the one who too. does more advertising than mm-hmm. anyone else on the show. Mm-hmm. She probably gets um, a bigger cut because she's in a major role. And she doesn't. She's the only one, if you listen like to Marlon and other characters, she's the only one that never goes away. Yeah. Never takes a vacation, never anything. Yeah. So she's never on a break from the Truman Show. She's made it her life. I don't know what she does with all that money because... She's still in the same... Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know what she's planning, but... Maybe she was um, planning to get a divorce and then... Or even have the kid and, and write Truman off and then she would have so much more money because she would be the mother of, yeah. the, of yeah. the Truman son or, or daughter. Yeah. But you don't see them together in a shot. Even when Truman you know, starts to snap. Yeah. It's a back and forth shot between her, you know, the POV with her pulling out yeah. the kitchen silverware and all that. And then the shot you see of them together is Truman holding, holding her. her. Yeah. And that's when she cries out, do something. do something. And she's looking up Yeah, and it's like, what? He's Wait a <laughs> minute. Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, Truman, um, she 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 snaps, yeah, and she's like, I can't work under these conditions, and then that's when Truman and Marlon go out. Yeah, this is this might be the, the most heartbreaking moment of the entire film. Honestly, because I think about for for those in audience and as listeners who do not know, I have a very very uh, great friend named Dre. Dre, yeah, and is thinking about like how what would I think if one of the people that I've been with for like over like 10 years mm-hmm. was just being fed lines. Yeah. To and it's just like every emotional beat that it is, is not even coming from that person's mouth. It's coming from someone else telling him yeah. in his ear. That's so heartbreaking. Well, and Marlon's saying, if everybody's in on it, I would have to be in on it too. Yeah. You but can't you tell. This is this is what's amazing about this actor who played Marlon, though, and about that scene. I cannot tell, and I don't think you're meant to tell. Mm-hmm. I can't tell if Marlon is genuinely upset that That's, this is what's happening yeah. and that he has to lie to Truman or if he's that good of an actor yeah. that he's pulling it off, Yeah, which is incredible. Which is, to be honest, which is probably worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can't tell. You can't tell it where, where, if there's... But you see that Marlon has had to also sell his soul, in a sense, and yep. sacrifice his humanity to yeah. play this, to be this hypocrite, to play this role Yeah. Um, for, th- for this, this, this fame and whatnot. And so that's when the decision to bring Truman's father back, who he f- sees, mm-hmm. another red flag he noticed was... Yep. A homeless man that looked like his father who tried to get into the set. Yeah. But they decide to bring the father back. And it's that scene where now we get to see behind the scenes. We see Kristoff directing the camera shots. We see music. So now we actually know that the music in the film that we've heard is actually scored by Kristoff. Right? So that puts a whole other dimension on the score. It's a genius idea to bring for Kristoff from a storytelling perspective to bring, to bring Truman's back. father back because yeah. in the hero's journey, there's this step there called the atonement with the father. And Joseph Campbell talks about this longing that we have that when we come of age, uh, come to this level of maturity, mm-hmm. that we, we have this kind of natural hostility 
with the father, like the, the father figures, yeah. right? As we grow up, yeah. Um, especially men. And so there is this longing to be reconciled with the father figure to, or that which represents the father. It could uh-huh. be God. It could be authority, right? Yeah. And so by giving Truman the atonement with the father, he actually, Christoph is actually fulfilling a piece of what Truman as a human being is longing for mm-hmm. and giving it to him in a very godlike way. Yeah. And in a very mythic way. Yeah. Because of course the the people eat it up. Now it's in this point, this is the halfway point of the film. This is when we realize that what's fully going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So we see that Kristoff is up in the moon, that that is his headquarters there, right? Now is a good time probably to talk about Kristoff yeah. as, as a character. I also think it's funny in this universe that they spent money like on an entire TV set like that. And couldn't put it towards like a better use towards humanity, but I th- right? but I also think like that is kind of how actually real life is. That is, that was so true. <laughs> That's good. Oh man, it's just so wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty immaculate. Yeah. What, what when you see it, you know, it's all put together. You see how much it takes up. Yeah. And so we do get to learn a bit more about Kristoff here. Now, when you hear the name Kristoff or you look at the spelling, it's interesting because the spelling of Kristoff is like, it could be like of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like he is like a Christ figure. Uh-huh. Or if you say it, it's Kristoff as in like an off of Christ, Christ. Yeah. right? So again, already kind of blurring your perception of this person and whatnot. But this idea of him being in the moon is interesting as well. Uh, because there's this whole idea in ancient cultures of you know worshiping, worshiping the yep, moon, yep. and that the the moon is kind of uh, directing fate and directing so, the tides. Of so the, yep. yeah, so mm-hmm. Abraham uh, in Genesis uh, eleven and twelve, you know, he comes out of this culture of the um, is it Abraham of the Chaldeans or. Um, I, I'm trying to blank of the specific name of it, but it's basically a culture that's the precursor to Babylon, uh-huh. right? And that culture will worship the moon. Moon worship was actually very popular with Abraham. Oh, And so when God comes to Abraham mm-hmm. and says, leave everything and follow me, yeah. God is essentially in a cultural language saying, no longer look at the moon, moon. no yeah. longer follow me, follow that. Yeah. Now I want you to follow me. And so it's interesting because there's already this sense here that Christoph is the false worship, or, the false yeah. God, right? Yeah. Um, and that there is some sort of true God that is going to lead Truman Out. away, mm-hmm. like like an Abraham, yeah. you know? Like Truman is sensing that call yeah. um, to leave everything. But what we also see is this idea of Christoph as kind of like a God of entertainment, mm-hmm. right? We see that he is at the highest place yeah. and that uh, that he's adored. He's, he, that interview, he's perceived as like like a genius. Yeah. And with the, that mindset, yeah. honestly, with that mindset, it's 
to to be at the top, you you have to do more to continue to stay at the top. Which, as as he does, he's he's again still like, how much are you losing your soul to what you are doing? Oh, I think Kristoff is completely gone. Like he's it's just like it's just completely well. And the crazy this is I think what makes him he's such an underrated film antagonist yeah because not only he's the worst villain he has thanos he he well (laughs) here's the thing thanos everybody knew thanos was wrong yeah people christoph has actually convinced the mass public yeah that he's that he is right yeah that is that is wild. Yeah. That's how good of a manipulator he is. He has convinced everybody that what he is doing is right and good. And even worse, it probably in that society, it's a it's a turning of a blind eye, right? As well, because how many things, uh, how many things in culture today that are just um, we just look to the to uh, as blind like blinded to just because it's relevant and it's popular and it's good, right? For what's happening? Right. For it's quote, quote, good of what's happening out here. Well, and this idea of him being like this godlike figure, um, you know, he's using Truman to sell these products. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea in postmodern critiques that in postmodern societies, which is what we're in, Uh it's what we live in, that people will get their value from what they consume. Mm -hmm. Because when you um, have, you have knocked down all these pillars that people have held on to of identity, yeah. they will get their identity from what they consume and they will build their identities around pop culture. So Kristoff is aware of what he's doing. Yeah. He is literally reconstructing. He's using his inside world yeah. of the dome to reconstruct the real yes. world. Yeah. So Jeez. that is the scary thing about when we get to the end and we think about what will happen to Truman is that Truman is still in Kristoff's world even after he leaves. Definitely. Right? And I think the I think the part that really shows that is right after Truman leaves and everyone cheers and it's such a heroic moment, the two guys that are on um, that yeah. are watching are just like, All right, well, well next what else is on? What else is on? Yeah. You just witnessed somebody realize that their entire world was a lie and now are coming to step into the real yep. world. Yep. And you your next thought is all right, well, what's the next black best blockbuster or something like that? Yep. But that's yeah, that's so true to today, though. It is. It's all so all these to... things are so true. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm telling you, it's 25 years later. It's yeah. more timely now than ever. Man. So there's two different interpretations I've been able to find of Kristoff. Uh-huh. So the one that I've being from a Christian worldview yeah. that I hold to, that I noticed, um, is this idea of Kristoff being some sort of Luciferian figure, right? Mm -hmm. Some sort of figure that is trying to whisper in people's ears and tell them how to say and people selling their souls, right? And and there's this idea of, uh, you know, the philosopher Descartes, right? No. Descartes, the guy who said, I think, therefore I am. Um, Renaissance I didn't know the name, but yes. So um, with Descartes, he had this idea that there was a demonic power that had the ability to alter humanity's perception of reality, that there's an evil spiritual force that can change the way we see what's around us. Mm-hmm. And so that's the interpretation that I have of Kristoff. Uh-huh. And what I think I think they're getting at is that kind of Descartes idea 
Christoph representing that power that can alter reality. Uh Another reading that people have is a Gnostic reading. Okay. So the Gnostics um, are those who were at odds with a lot of the early, uh, more mainstream Christian sects. And the Gnostic reading is that Christoph is representative of what's called the Demiurge. So the Demiurge is also known as the creator God. So Gnostics believe that the God of the Old Testament Uh is evil. Oh. And they believe that... Jesus was coming to liberate humanity from that God, uh-huh. from that evil God. And that the Demiurge is a God that is trying to propagate itself as the one true God, but mm-hmm. is really a lesser, lesser God. And that the serpent, who the Gnostics would say is Sylvia, that the serpent is trying to liberate Adam um, from that uh, deception. So God. in Gnosticism, they uh-huh. see the serpent as the hero. They see the serpent as the liberator, the one who's trying to bring knowledge of good and evil um, to get Adam out of his Eden and into consciousness, right? So those are both uh, readings I think you can get from the Truman Show. I think you you can read it in those ways. Um, I think, again, that's what makes Kristoff such a compelling antagonist, you know, is the ways that people analyze him. Uh, and we mentioned before this idea of him wanting to have a baby. Yeah. Because as as we've already said, it's one thing for Kristoff to merely adopt life, right? Because yeah. they adopt Truman as a baby. Yeah, now as he a wants corporation. to create life. Yes, yeah. this is him creating life. Yeah. And this puts him in the ultimate godlike status yeah. that he's he's longing for. He's creating his own in his mind like a Tower of Babel, yep. right? Where he just can't be touched at the top. Yep. So then there's the conversation with Kristoff and Sylvia where she calls in mm-hmm. and Sylvia sees what's happening with Truman as, you know, dehumanizing him. Yeah. That the way that Kristoff is dehumanizing all these people, yeah. right, into perpetuating this, this illusion yeah. and this false reality, that he is also dehumanizing Truman by that. Yeah. And that's where they have the most interesting, I think, philosophical moment of the whole film where Christoph says um, that Truman prefers his cell. Mm -hmm. Because Christoph, you know, Sylvia says that he's not a performer, he's a prisoner. Yeah. But Christoph believes that Truman prefers this cell. And this actually goes back to the cave. Yeah. That Christoph sees Truman as the... Two the, other figures in the cave in the who mm-hmm. are looking at the shadow but and Truman are content. is actually the one to step out. Yes, and, and this is Kristoff's downfall. Yeah, this moment where he says that line is his downfall. Yeah, because if he believed that Truman was capable of being the other person in the cave, mm-hmm. he would have been smarter from here on out. Yeah, but actually, from this point on, Kristoff's all of his moves are sloppy. Yeah. You know, everything is not that kind of cold, calculated logic. It's now very emotion-driven. Yeah. And I think that's what leads to um, his downfall. So the crazy thing about Kristoff, though, as an antagonist, is that this this fool is not afraid to manufacture trauma. This man made a storm again. (laughs) Dependence, right? Um, and, and not just in the big ways, but in the small ways, too, like crushing his dreams of traveling. Like, check this out. He makes Truman an insurance agent. If you're in insurance, what do you always have to think about all the time? Yeah, think about the worst case scenario. So literally Truman always has to think about the worst. Dang, yeah. 
And then on Dang, top of that, that's wild, if yeah. you notice something about Marlon, every single time you see Marlon, what does he have in his hand? He has beer. He has beer. Yeah. And it's not just to advertise beer. I think it's to numb Truman. Yeah. When Truman's having his freak out, Marlon brings beer over. Yeah. And when Marlon can't, when they can't find Truman uh, in the basement, he also brings beer over. Yeah. So it's Kristoff is literally sedating Truman through alcohol. Yeah, that's so wild. That's Uh, so wild. It's he underrated film antagonist. Honestly, this could be a horror movie. Yeah, Yeah. there is. There actually even in the soundtrack, there's some horror kind of cues as well. You know, should have made this a rated R. Um, They should redo this movie as a rated R. Oh man, that that would be interesting to see how they would do this. I think I think if they made the Truman Show now, that would be way too preachy because this movie is not preachy. Yeah, it is so so subtle, subtle, and that is the the majesty and the finesse of this film yeah you're right it would probably would just be all it would be way too political yeah um and whoever was telling it i don't think could do it objectively because this is a very objective as objective as i think you could get in this kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know like i don't think any side comes out looking particularly great christoph gives that line to the reporter and it's my favorite line the the villain actually utters my favorite line of the whole film because I think it's essentially what the the core idea of the film is. And there's always, when you analyze a film, there's always a line of dialogue that will sound slightly out of place, like it was scripted and not real, like how real people talk. Yeah. And this is one of those lines where I'm like, oh, this is what the film's about. And he says, we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. Mm. That's the Truman Dude, Show. Yeah. That's it, right? That's what it's getting at. So after this kind of crazy, emotional, like information dump, like an overload, right? Yeah. One of my favorite moments of the film is where we just see Truman sleeping. Yeah. And it has that music playing and... It's it, the music is changing. By the way, mm-hmm. the music is becoming the 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 notes are a lot more minor. They're a lot more darker now. Uh-huh. There's a very foreboding undertone in the music in the score as Truman has discovered things more and more. Like you could just listen to the soundtrack by itself and figure out the whole movie what's going on. Mm. So, but there's that scene where Truman's sleeping and it's very calming. But it's also very dark and foreboding. Yeah, because it's like and you're you're intruding in someone's space. This is one of their most. Yeah, this is a person's pri- most. And Kristoff's there, caressing. caressing the TV. Yeah, and but what it does, it what it provides for us as the audience as well is that it provides um, space. Yeah, it provides breathing room, a moment to sit there with do- no dialogue and just silence, and take in for a minute everything we've just learned. Yeah. and feel it. Yeah. And that's one of the, the geniuses of this movie is the way that it gives you time to, to feel, feel mm-hmm. and process every, like the pacing. Yep. This is, this is a perfectly paced film. It in makes my me opinion. think, oh man, this guy is sick. How dare he? Gotta, yeah. <laughs> he's but a then, horrible man. But, but here's the thing. I also think Christoph legit cares. Thinks he's, a, and, he's all right. Well, we, okay. I, I think he actually cares about Truman. He has a sick, he has a sick like love yes. for him. Mm-hmm. I, and I think in that moment, you do see what's left of Christoph's humanity right yeah. there. Is you see, you see what's he thinking in his head? Like, is he thinking, oh, what? I can't believe I put you through this, because you just wonder, yeah. you know, what what's going on. And then it's even crazier because we're talking about how people, um, like it, the the actress that plays his wife. 
uh, put her entire um, identity into this show. Right. Thinking of this with Kristoff as well. He put yeah. his, this this is this is his entity. This is who he is now or right. who everyone's going to remember him at remember right. him as. So to maintain this status quo um is all he can really try to do because if not then who is he at that point? Right. Yeah. And it's a very um crazy that once we come back to the Truman show Kristoff is trying to give him everything. Yeah. He's trying to give him the promotion, give him a new girl. Yep. Right? Trying to throw all these things in. His father's back. Yeah. And it's this very Luciferian idea, a very satanic idea of the world revolves around you mm-hmm. and is just here to serve you and give you what you want, right? Mm-hmm. So there is that temptation, um, that temptation that Truman might have of just this feels good. Yeah. And this is where it differs from the Twilight Zone episode. Because the Twilight Zone episode ends with the man giving in to the temptation. Oh, really? Yes. Once he figures it out, but he realizes what he could have. Oh, he's he just surrenders. like, just be in this. Wow. He surrenders. Okay. So it's a darker, Dang. much darker ending as he surrenders to his cell. It's like the guy from The Matrix that sold out everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there is that wondering, like, is it going to go that way? And it doesn't. Because we see that Truman, he escapes. Yeah. And that is the best word for it. He escapes, and for the first time, they have to cut the transmission. Yeah. So already, Kristoff is not, he's losing it, right? But then he sends Marlon, and they can't find him, and then he cues the sun. It's yeah. another sloppy move right there, yep. right? But then, of course, we finally find, oh, we, and he takes his wedding ring off too, yep. which is interesting, right? Because yeah. then they can't follow him. But then, of course, we find Truman on the water and we're like, bravo, boy, bravo. You're on that. Go ahead, sail. You go on that boat. You sail, You bro. do it. You sail away, <laughs> you know? So Truman at this point is determined to face the storms. Yeah. He doesn't want to hide or run away. He doesn't want everything handed to him. He's in search for what is real. And it's interesting because it's the idea that by facing your suffering and facing the storms of your life, that is where you encounter true meaning and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not comfortable. It's not. Truman is sitting there on the boat and faces fears. Mm -hmm. But he knows it's what's necessary. Yeah. Yelling There's, out to the storm, being like, "Yes, is that the best you could do?" Yeah, you're as the to storm, kill me. yes, <laughs> as the storm is coming down. There's a lot of symbolism too going on in this moment. Yeah. So, for example, you've got there's three core s- symbolic things happening here with the boat itself. So number one, written on the boat are the words Santa Maria. You got to understand with film, none of this stuff is by, by accident. So the Santa Maria is the boat that Christopher Columbus oh, yeah. sailed on and discovered the new world. Mm-hmm. So all three of these symbols with the boat are all symbols that designate some sort of new discovery freedom or like new that. discovery. So mm-hmm. the, the, the Saint Maria is the, or the Santa Maria, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, that's the first one. The second one is an eagle, and that's oh, okay. that's an obvious one, right? Yeah, yeah. America, freedom, America, yeah, the revolution, yeah. <laughs> American Revolution. Yeah, the yeah. eagle has always been a symbol, even long before America, of that freedom, right? Yeah. Then there's a third one, and there's a flag or a sail that has the the number one thirty nine written on it. Hmm. What does that mean? And it's an allusion to Psalm 139. Okay. Because Psalm 139 um, is about 
the intimate knowledge that God has of David. Mm. This is the psalm where he says, you have knit me together in my yeah, mother's womb. womb. Yeah. You know, fearfully, wonderfully made. Yeah. You know, you know me, you know, in the intimate, the dark yeah. place, right? And then it ends with the search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Mm. So... Mm, you're being tested. Yeah. You're being tested, my guy. Yeah. So all three of those symbols <laughs> designate some, cool. something together that tell you of what's what's going on in that scene, right? Yeah. And then, of course, you have the storm coming down, and Kristoff being willing to kill him. You know, yeah, he's gonna die in front of li- live audience. Yeah. Um. So he was born in front of a live. Kristoff has this godlike power. Yeah. Over Truman, causing, in causing yeah. the storm, but Truman holds on for his dear life. They cut the storm. And when we see Truman, again, the symbolism is just apparent. Mm -hmm. So water has just washed over him. So remember the baptism when I mentioned earlier, remember that he's 30? Yep. So it's when Jesus had his baptism that he was able to... perceive clearly, you know, his role, uh, his ministry, right? Because he hears the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. So this is a foreshadow that Truman is being baptized. He's about to hear a voice, right? But it's going to be an anti-God. It's going to be like a a subversive voice Uh that's going to not give him you know, meaning and purpose and identity. It's trying to keep him complacent. It's, it's gonna, yes, yeah. it's going to mm-hmm. try to push him back, mm-hmm. right? So interesting there. Baptism, whenever you see anyone washed by water in film, baptism imagery and the, it's basically the idea of you're dying to one thing and you're coming alive to another. Yeah. So this is the moment where Truman is officially dying to the Truman Show and he is becoming the true man. And another... Um, you know, you you think of like Noah and the flood. You see, like Noah has survived the the storm. Yep. You see, Truman is literally has his arms out like he's on a crucifix, yeah. right? So there's this idea of death and resurrection that's just permeating the scene, and this idea that the uh, the media will try to kill what is real, mm-hmm. but you must hold on. Mm-hmm. They are trying Said to kill. Again, Derek. The media is trying to kill the true man. Yep. They are trying to kill the only real thing in this fabricated world. Yep. But Truman, all he has to do is hold on long enough, and then he will emerge. Yeah. Truman, he's basically like a reverse Jesus yeah. in this film because whereas Jesus was a special person that everybody thought was ordinary, mm-hmm. right, and didn't realize until later, Later. how special he truly was with his resurrection, right? Truman is the opposite, where Truman is perceived as special, Mm -hmm. but people, his whole journey is in becoming, in realizing that he's normal. Yeah. And it really symbolizes this idea of how this consumer culture, this thing that Christoph has built, makes us feel like gods, Mm -hmm. makes us feel like that, oh, I've become the true man. Yeah. But of course the film is arguing differently that Truman is not divine. Truman does the world does not revolve around us as people. Yeah. That we are just human. Truman is the true man. Yeah. So then we have that moment where Truman approaches the edge of the world. That's always an interesting thing in stories too. The idea of the edge of the world is where chaos exists, right? Uh-huh. And water is also symbolic of where chaos exists. So there's this idea that you get to the edge of the world 
and the boat crashes. Yeah. And the veil is torn, torn. literally yep. torn, bro. Yep. You know? Yeah. So more biblical imagery there. But he has that moment where he touches the sky. Ah. Oh. Such a moment. It's a deep moment. It's a deep moment. Yeah. And then he's Jim Jim Carrey should have won an Oscar. I know everybody says that, but I agree. Like yeah. this performance, the the way he balances the comedy and drama yeah. and the tension and the the craziness, but this moment, you just feel yeah. the heartbreak. And it's actually the score. Um, so my wife noticed this before I did when she watched it the first time is that the score is doing a version of the old hymn. There is a redeemer. Oh, Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. And the, the, if you go to the soundtrack, the piece that's playing is called father Colby's preaching. Yeah. Okay. So there's a very biblical, lots of biblical imagery yeah. that even in the music choices yeah, that's that, wild. that is happening here. It's crazy to think about what he could even be thinking about in that moment. Just yeah. Like, just touching the the just touching the paper, realizing <laughs> right. I wasn't crazy. And right. there was something, there was something going on. There was on. something. Yeah. So you have that moment where he walks on the water. Yep. Yep. So this goes back to what I said earlier about Peter. Yeah. So Peter and his disciples and the and the rest of the disciples, they're in the boat. There's a time where Jesus calms the storm, but then there's another story where they're out on the water and they see Jesus on the water. Yeah. And then Peter says, let me walk on the water and if come to you, you, right? Yeah. So it's interesting because Truman has gone, like Peter, from being the one afraid of the water to the one walking on the water. He's yeah. mastering his fear. Yeah. And unlike Peter, he who looks and, and doubts, yeah. Truman no longer doubts. Yeah. He is walking straight ahead, mm -hmm. focused. Yeah. So then he walks up the stairs, which is obviously symbolic of ascent, right? He's yep. ascending in his consciousness and his knowledge of everything. And then... The voice speaks. He hears the voice. The voice of Kristoff from the the fake heavens, yeah. right? And Kristoff from the moon says, you know, he says that line, "I am the creator." Pause yeah. of a television. Yeah. So again, again, when you analyze a film, everything is intentional. Yeah, that intentional pause is there for a reason. Yeah, right. So I am the creator. Again, this that plays into the Gnostic interpretation of the, the demiurge, right? Mm -hmm. But even this idea of a false creator, of the creator of the 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 consumer culture and the yep. media and the reality TV, right? Yep. This godlike status that people have in our world over people. And he says that there's no more truth out there in the, than in the world. Oh that I created for you. And here I can protect you. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's interesting because it notes, this, this line here notes that um, the struggle to perceive truth and reality will continue for Truman yep. once he walks out that door. Yep. And Christoph is right. Yeah. He is correct that when tr this will not fix everything. Yeah. He, Truman will also have to struggle. Yeah. And that's part of the tragedy of the Truman Show is that what he experienced in the dome w is What's just a microcosm of what the real world is like. Yeah. And what he thinks is going to be liberation, right, um, is going to be much harder. But nonetheless, you see that you see that moment where Truman asks, was any of it real? And Kristoff says, you were real. 
And there's this tension in the Truman Show between free will and fate, yeah. right? How much of Truman really was real if you scripted everything around yeah, you, if you, right? Limit, if, you, if you put him in a container and if you put him in a right. limited space, how much of him was and, actually and, living real? And, and what yeah. I love about the Truman Show is that it's really the story about a passive reactionary character uh-huh. becoming an active uh, character with agency. Yeah, and that's what Truman wants, is he wants that agency. It will come with a cost, and yeah. that's what Kristoff is warning him about. And he says that line, you never had a camera in my head, which uh, kind of goes back to that Psalm 139 reference where it talks about how God knows us intimately. Uh, but Kristoff, despite his God complex, does not know Truman in that way. That, And this is this is a great commentary on just... The mind is kind of a refuge. It's all dystopias, because uh, this is a dystopia for sure, but all dystopias kind of have this uh, retreat of the mind. And you have Sylvia. We get cutbacks to Sylvia, and she's on the floor praying. Like, yeah. she literally cries out to God yeah. with prayer. So again, it's like, I think that fits into the Descartes the, that interpretation, right? Yeah. That we are praying for Truman's liberation from these evil spiritual powers, right? Yeah. So then we get the moment, the moment where Truman gets ready to open the door and he says, well, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. He walks out the door. The music is triumphant. Yeah. We clap. And it's a really it awesome, awesome moment. moment. Yeah. Everybody, you see everybody's cheering, all that stuff, right? And I love that. And again, I think if the film was made at a different time, like if it was made earlier, if it was made later, I don't think they would have done this. I love that we don't see what happens next with Truman. Yeah. Because Truman gets to live his life now. Yeah. And we, we don't get, we don't we don't, get access well, to it. As the it. audience, we don't get to see that anymore. He gets because, his privacy. Yeah. So it's brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant, right? But what I do think we get with the ending, instead of the neat, tidy resolution of seeing Truman... We're we still get horrifying. the security guards. Yeah. And that is, I think, the real ending. Yeah. Where you see these security guards that the show is over. Okay, what else? Yeah. There's no reflection. None of it. And, and that is the most dangerous thing you can do with a story is just soak it in, take it in, and never Everyone, think about, yeah. right? They just change the channel and they want to find the next thing to attach their identity to. Yep. They're not actually, they're consuming stories, but not digesting them. Yep. So... And that's the that's the haunting thing because the happy music plays when Truman leaves. Mm-hmm. Once the security guards do that and you're it's in the credits, yeah. the music changes. It's very haunting and foreboding. Do 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 I gotta re-listen. I gotta re-listen to the credits. This is one of the best soundtracks ever. Philip Glass, I mean, oh my gosh, he just knocked it out with this. But the you but that music in the credits is like ominous. Like, ooh. That's what I'm telling you. Should have been a horror movie. Should have been a horror movie. Because I think Peter Weir is telling us don't do that. Yeah, don't do there you should look at what the security guards, how they reacted, and think that's something's not right about that. And so I think when we think about this movie today, we think about, I see people that broadcast their lives on social media. Reality TV still exists, but now the everyday person like you and me can brought, we could be the stars of our own shows. We have the Joseph show, the Derek show. We can make our own perspectives of what's happening in our lives. Yes. Even if it's a false 
reality. Well, that's the thing is we believe we're in control of these narratives, but yeah. the Truman Show gets you to question how much are we really in control of? Yeah. Well, and now that we know the extent of like advertising of how Facebook and mm -hmm. Instagram, how they target, yeah. right, ads to you, you start to realize how much of my actions are actually my control versus how many are fate are predetermined, predestined by a Christoph-like figure. Yeah. Right? And so the Truman Show begs us to ask the question, are we really in control of the narratives we project about ourselves? Mm. Not just social media putting a filter on it. Yeah. Not just that end of it, but what are we telling ourselves yeah. about what's true? And so how do we, kind of the takeaways, kind of final takeaways from Truman Show, how do we find agency Yeah. in this world we live? Not even just agency, but just a... There is an agency, but finding our purpose as well. Yes. And not yes. just and not just being fine with the status quo of things, but going out and reaching. And not just and even when you think you found it, still going out and and, and searching even if that thing is still what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Your your whole purpose. Yeah. 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 Cause Truman is living a good life. Yeah. But is it a meaningful one? Mm-hmm. So often we are after the good life ourselves, but is it what we're really in search of? Not necessarily the good life, but a meaningful story yeah. to live by. Yeah. So that's about gonna do it for our analysis of The Truman Show. That was great. That was great, yeah. <laughs> that's one film going deep, right? Yeah. So if you enjoyed this kind of thing, going more in depth analysis, I'll probably do another one in the fall. But if you have a film that you would want me to take this level of depth to explore, it, it does take a lot of research mm -hmm. to do this, you know? But if you are interested in this on our Patreon that we recently announced at the top of the month, uh, at our Patreon, I will do an analysis of a film of your choice. And I will try my best to find everything I can to go to this level of depth. Go to our Patreon page in the uh, show notes here. Check that out. And I would love to analyze uh, a film for you just as a thank you uh, for supporting this podcast. So Joseph, any final things before we wrap? Uh, no, just may, uh, please visit my YouTube page at Joe Lee Stark 25. Uh, I was just able to release a movie myself to finish off the year. Our Which we're going to go watch right now. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'm yeah. in the movie, guys. I'm in the movie. He's in the movie. My wife is in the movie. Watch Joseph's it. in the movie. Is Jason in the movie? Jason is in the movie. Oh my gosh. Is Nick, Nick is in, in the movie? movie. Is, is Dave in the movie? Dave is in the movie. Oh my gosh. Everybody we who's been on these Why We Loves is in the movie. movie. So you guys need to go so see you gotta Even go check this is out. in this movie, so you guys need to check it out. Please. That, Our Savior Civil that. War. If you can't find the page, just type in Our Saviors Civil War. Um, and again, my YouTube page is Joe Lee Stark 25. Yes, that. please. All right, join us next time for another exciting episode of the All Things Narrative Podcast. Hashtag mutant and proud. Till the uprising. Hashtag out.